Scripture reading this morning is taken from Psalms, chapter 11. In the Lord I take refuge. How then can you say to me, flee like a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord is on his heavenly throne. He observes the sons of men. His eyes examine them. The Lord examines the righteous, but the wicked and those who love violence, his soul hates. On the wicked, he will rain fiery coals and burning sulfur. A scorching wind will be their lot. For the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. Upright men will see his face. Thanks, Bob. And good morning, everybody. It's great to have so many people here this morning, and it's great to see so many visitors with us, too. Uh, Let's start out with a question. How would you describe this bottle here? Uh, Is it half empty? Half full? No, that's the age-old question, right? It's another way of asking this question. Are you uh, an optimist or a pessimist? Or maybe you consider yourself a realist, but I have news for you. That's just like another form of pessimism, okay? (laughs) Um, You know, the optimist, the optimist would say the bottle or the glass is half full. You know, they're, they're tending to look at the best in life and focus on the good in everything. Uh, That obviously comes along with some benefits, right? But it also comes along with some blind spots. Uh, It can open yourself up. You can open yourself up to missing things that might be potentially dangerous or or bad for you. The pessimist, on the other hand, they would say, you know what, the bottle or the glass is half empty, uh, which is kind of the opposite way of looking at things. And I I remember an old co-worker of mine uh, he had this great line that I'll never forget. He would, he would, he was like a self-proclaimed pessimist, this guy. I think he just reveled in it. And, and he would always say, uh, I always expect the worst. That way I'm either right or I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> I like that line. Um, the realist would say, you know, they don't really care about whether the glass is full or empty or, or whatever. What matters to them is that there is a bottle. And there's some water in it. You know, maybe they would say, well, why is the water so blue? <laughs> uh, I, th- I thought I'd make it blue so you could actually see it. I'm going to put it over here in case I drink it, because I probably don't want to drink that. Um, whoever's on for closing prayer, just stay away from that stuff. Uh, it's just, just food coloring. But anyway, the realists, you know, they're, they're concerned about just the facts, right? Whatever's going on in front of them. And, and I don't know if there's a right answer to which one of these three sort of attitudes is the best, which of these mindsets is the most beneficial. They all have their strengths and weaknesses. And, and you know what? This sort of shows up, this, this idea of how we look at things sort of shows up in our psalm today that Bob just read for us. Uh, to get our minds going in this direction, let me just start with a, a couple of questions. How do you deal with negative situations in your life? How do you deal with the evil in the world around you? Do you try and pretend that it's not there? Do you run from it, maybe? Do you get consumed by it? In the psalm today, the writer is reacting to some bad news. Somebody comes up to him, maybe maybe it's a friend, not really sure. 
But they come up to him and they basically say, you know what, the sky is falling. The, wor- the wolf is at the door kind of thing. Everything is falling apart. Have you ever been in a situation like that before? Maybe, maybe that message comes to you sometimes. Maybe it comes from someone in your life. Maybe someone close to you even. Or maybe it's on the news. Or maybe you're the one who feels like the wolf is at the door. And yeah, you know what? There's some truth to that. Life's a mess, right? There's definitely evil in this world. And sometimes that evil comes knocking on your door. And it gets very real. (laughs) Maybe we witness a horrible situation in our community. Maybe we get a phone call with some bad news that we don't want to hear. Maybe someone close to you sticks a knife in your back. And it hurts you. And it makes you question goodness itself. You know, what are we supposed to do in situations like that? How does God want us to respond? Well, we're going to talk about that today. And I love how the Bible addresses this idea head on in in the psalm we're looking at. Um, The psalm, you know, it looks at life, including all of the ugliness, with honesty. The conclusion is not, oh, well, it's going to get better. Or, you know, it's not a big deal. There's no promise of that in our scripture today. So the Bible is not really taking an optimistic point of view per se, but it's also not taking a pessimistic point of view either. Because the Psalm, Psalm 11, it still offers us like a ton of hope. And that hope is grounded in the fact that the Lord, the Lord reigns. The Lord reigns. And today I want to focus on how this conviction, this simple conviction can make a huge difference. It can be a difference maker in our lives today. It can help us to find strength uh, to pursue uh, something good in the midst of a broken world. Uh, Our sermon series this month is called What We Believe About the Church. And today, as we talk about uh, we talk about responding to the evil in our world, I hope to highlight something about the church as well. Uh, the Bible says that Jesus is the head of the church, which is just another way of saying the Lord reigns. And today, I want to uh, highlight how important it is for us to follow Him, regardless of how good or how bad things may seem, because. Our decision to follow him is very much connected with how God wants us to respond to the evil in this world. As the head, uh, Jesus has given us, we being the body, work to do. He's called us to something. He's called us to shine his light into the midst of the dark and lost world that desperately needs a relationship with God. And Psalm 11 is going to help us a lot with all of this. First, uh, the first thing that I want to point out is the reality of the evil in this world. And second, the psalm, it causes us to consider the choice that we all need to make about how we are going to respond to that reality. And this is going to help us come to a point where we can really appreciate the importance of the calling that we've been given to live with conviction that the Lord reigns, even when life is a mess. When was the last time you heard something shocking, (laughs) something that really like sets you back? You know, when you live in Winnipeg, there are some things you just don't hear people say. 
for instance, you've probably never heard someone say, I can't wait till winter gets here. I'm really looking forward to that, you know. That would be that would be shocking to hear. People would react to that. You know, how can you say such a thing? That's kind of what's happening, though, I think, here in the beginning of our psalm. I mean, it's nothing to do with winter, but this idea that we, we like sort of pick up in the middle of a conversation where somebody has just said something that was totally shocking. The psalmist can't believe his ears. And, and here's the advice that somebody gave him that really shocked him. Flee like a bird to your mountain, for look, the wicked bend their bows. They set their arrows against the strings to shoot from the shadows at the upright in heart. When the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? Someone just gave him this advice. Maybe it's a friend, and and we see that his friend is a proper pessimist, right? His advice, you know, you should run away. Flee like a bird, he says. And, and then he goes on to describe how the sky is falling, right? The wicked, they're bending their bows against you. They're getting ready to attack you. They're coming for the upright. In other words, the people who are trying to do right are going to lose. They're going to lose. And you should just get out of here while you still can. And then he ends off by saying, you know, when the foundations, and, and he's talking about the foundations of law and order, or the foundations of our society as a whole, when those foundations are being destroyed, is there anything that a righteous person can do about it? It's sort of a rhetorical question, though, right? He's just basically saying, there's nothing you can do, man. It's over. Things are too bad. Evil is going to win, and you should just run away. It's dark, right? But you know what? It's realistic, too. At least the part about there being a lot of evil in this world. And I love this about the psalm. It doesn't gloss over the reality of things. It's honest about the fact that there is evil out there pursuing those who are trying to do what is right. This isn't a stretch, right? We we get this. Many of us maybe would say amen to the problem described in verse 3. It does seem like the foundation of our society is being destroyed. Things that we've held up as good and right for decades or even centuries are now being ridiculed. Things that have been widely regarded as evil are now being celebrated. In the words of Isaiah, we live in a time when good is called evil and evil is called good, when light is called darkness and darkness is called light. And those who are trying to live for God and do what is right are indeed under attack. That's the truth. This is the reality of the world we live in. The scripture warns us about this. I mean, it's always kind of been this way. First Peter 5, 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Again, and I... <laughs> I'm not trying to dwell on the negative here, but this is the reality of life, and we need to face it. We have an enemy. He wants to take us down, and he's not picky about how he does it. If you're trying to live a righteous life for God, you will face persecution. The story of Job, it it teaches us this, right? It sometimes comes in the form of hard times. You know, maybe something difficult happens in our lives and that evil comes knocking right at your door. 
And evil isn't limited to hard times either. Evil can also come through the people around us. It can come from someone at work or even in the church or even in your own home. These situations can hurt big time. And I know that many of us understand this all too well because we've been through it. We've experienced that. What do you do when evil is knocking at your door? That's the choice that I want to address. Uh, That's the choice that I want to address this morning because I think it's one of the main purposes of this whole psalm to get us to consider that question that's being posed in verse three. This question that it says here, when the foundations are being destroyed, what can the righteous do? You know, we have to make a choice about how are we going to answer that in our own lives? How are you going to answer that question? When the foundations are being destroyed, if you're someone who's trying to live for God, what will you do? How will you react when it seems like everything is going to hell? And I mean that in a literal way. How will you react? You see, the psalm doesn't promise a life of comfort and ease. It doesn't promise a world without problems. And and by the way, I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't try to work towards solutions for things. Of course we should. But the real choice the psalm gets us to consider is this. How will you react even when things don't get better? When it looks like everything is getting worse, actually, what will you do in that situation? And then the psalm leads us to a couple of choices that we can consider. We've already looked at the first option a little bit. It could be called a pessimistic point of view, and and I don't necessarily want to label it, but maybe that's what it is. In short, the first option is to run away, to flee like a bird to the mountain, right? And you know what, guys, if we're being honest, that feels like a pretty good option sometimes, right? The world can feel overwhelming and running away can seem pretty good. And it's bad enough when you get it from the world, but it's even worse when it comes through someone close to you. Maybe someone in the church, maybe someone in your family, Maybe a brother or sister does something to hurt you and running away can feel like a pretty good solution sometimes, right? But as bad as it is, that it can still get even worse than that. Maybe God hasn't answered a prayer in your life. Maybe you've been praying about something hard and it's just not happening. Maybe you've experienced a, a loss in your life that you feel is unfair or you're, you get a setback in your life and you're angry with him about it. You could perceive him as evil. It might feel like a good option to run away from him sometimes, too. That's Satan's goal, though. Our enemy who's prowling around, that's what he wants. He wants to divide us from each other. He wants to divide us from our God. He wants to draw us away from our mission that Jesus has given us. But is this what God wants from us? No. God does not want us to run from the world, to run from the church, or to run from the people closest to us. He certainly doesn't want us to run away from Him. If the first option is that sort of pessimistic attitude, then the second option in the psalm here is a refugistic attitude. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure I made that up. But um, I didn't really know what else to call it because... You know, the attitude in this psalm, it's, it's not pessimistic and it's also not really optimistic. 
The attitude towards the situation comes from outside of the psalmist himself. It's shaped by whom he believes in, whom he takes refuge in. He's a refugist. We see this in verse 1. The reason that he's shocked by his friend's suggestion to run away is because he takes refuge in the Lord. How can you say run away and take refuge in the mountains? Don't you know that I take refuge in the Lord? How could you say such a thing? So raise your hands if you like a good campfire. Anybody like that? Ah, my people. (laughs) I love a good campfire. It's one of my favorite things to do. You know, sitting around with friends. It's so relaxing. And and I also think it's really cool because it's got to be one of the oldest traditions of humanity, I think, right? It's something that human beings have been doing for who knows how long, sitting around a campfire, and we're still doing it in 2023. I think that's pretty amazing. Uh, I love a good campfire just for the ambiance of the thing, but, you know, a fire becomes so much more important when it's part of your survival. Maybe we're sort of disconnected from that part of it, but it's so important. I have a picture here. It's from a canoe trip that Alicia and I did with Kyle and Laurel back in 2019. Really good time. Uh, And it looks really good in this picture. But just before Alicia took it, we had just finished canoeing and portaging for like five hours, I think. And unfortunately, it was raining like really hard at the end and we just got soaked. Uh, You know what that's like. You're outside, you're wet, you're cold. We had to set up our tent in the rain. We were sulking, you know. We brought some firewood, but I, of course, forgot an axe. So we had a hard time getting the fire going. We really wanted to get it going, though. Um, we were hungry. We were cold. We needed to eat something and warm up. So I tried for a while to get it going, and then I sort of gave up on it, and Kyle took over, and, and then within, like, two minutes, he had, like, a roaring fire going. I don't know why I didn't just let him do it at the start. Uh, anyways, Alicia took this picture just as we got it going and we we're cooking like 50 hot dogs at once because we we're starving and we needed to eat. Uh, and it was great. But I point this out to say this, that the fire that day was a real difference maker. It was a difference maker for us. It was a source of food. It was a source of warmth. And really, in some ways, it was a source of hope that we were going to be OK. You know, even if it kept raining, we could stay warm and, and things were going to be OK. The fire was a difference maker for us. And I want to point out that I think the psalmist had something going on like this as well in his life. He had a difference maker as well. And it wasn't like some magic trick that was going to make all of his problems go away. It wasn't going to remove the evil in the world. But just like with that fire, he knew that if he held on to this one thing, this difference maker that he could endure the world because his difference maker brought him hope. Hope even when things looked hopeless. And his difference maker comes from what we see him talk about in verse 4 and 5. And please, if you don't hear anything else that I'm going to say today, please hear this. Just let it sink in how powerful these words are. How powerful it is that the psalmist Like he actually felt like he could face the evil in the world because of this one thing. Here it is. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let me say that again. The Lord is in his holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes see. His eyelids test the children of man. 
The Lord tests the righteous, but his soul hates the wicked and the one who loves violence. You see, and I, I want to stress this, the psalmist, he's not naive. He's not a naive person. He's not naive that there's problems in the world, nor is he trying to hide from the evil around him. He accepts the, the reality. He doesn't try to explain it away or say that it's just all going to be okay or pretend that there are no problems. There are problems. But that's not the focus for the refugist. Because for them, the difference maker is not the absence of evil. The difference maker is faith in the midst of evil. Right? The difference maker is not the absence of evil. It's faith in the midst of evil. That's what allows him to go on. It reminds me of what the Hebrew writer says in chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. There's a confidence that faith brings, right? Even when it's not going well. Faith, it helps us to be sure of something, to be sure that the Lord reigns, even if we can't see it right now. The Lord is in his holy temple, whether it looks like it or not, whether it feels like it or not. Even if I don't see it and even if I don't feel it, I choose to believe it, to hold on to that conviction. And not just believe it in like an intellectual head knowledge sense, you know, like agreeing with it as a set of facts. It's, it's way deeper than that. It's a belief in the sense that I choose to live my life based on this conviction that he is in control. He is in his holy temple. That's a powerful perspective that the psalmist, that's where he finds strength to face the evil in the world, even if it looks like things aren't going to get better anytime soon. It reminds me of the attitude of, of Habakkuk. It's one of my favorite scriptures. I love these words, though the, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of the deer and he enables me to tread on the heights. Amen. How are things going in your life right now? You know, I really sincerely hope it's a time of great prosperity and abundance for you. But I know for some of us, it's not. Maybe we can relate more here with what Habakkuk is saying. Everything is falling apart. It's looking like it's not going to get better anytime soon, but his commitment remains I think that's the powerful part. His faith is there. It's remaining. He makes the choice to yet rejoice in the Lord and to find strength in God. Habakkuk is convicted that no matter how bad things get, God will help him to tread on the heights. He believes that God will help him move forward in faith despite the difficulties. And I really think that's what God wants for all of us as well. Despite the difficulties, despite the evil, God still has a calling for you and me. And actually, you know what? It's, 
it's probably because exactly because of the difficulties and because of the evil that God has given us this calling. God has given us hope, right? Hope in the midst of evil. And he has called us to share that hope with the people around us. I want to point out something that I think is just so powerful from something Jesus said about this. We probably know this verse by heart, many of us. Jesus said these words when he was speaking to the people in John 8, 12. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus had an incredible message of hope for the world. He said if people would follow him, he would show them a way out of their darkness. He would show them a way to the light because he is the light of the world. That's amazing. But you know what? You know who else Jesus calls the light of the world? (laughs) Matthew 5, verse 14. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a light under a, uh, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? Jesus calls his followers the same thing he calls himself. What a humbling Uh, What an inspiring, what a challenging truth to consider. Brothers and sisters, we have a mission in this dark world. Jesus' mission is our mission because we are following in his footsteps. He's entrusted that to you and me. He's trusting you and me to shine our light into the darkness. Far be it from us to run from the darkness. I'm not saying that we should put ourselves in a dangerous situation where we get pulled into the darkness. That that would not be wise. But we are called to be light in the midst of the darkness. We have to show people the way out. That's our that's our calling. The evil in this world can make you mad. I get it. It can make you mad. So mad. So uh, so scared. But our attitude towards the people caught up in the evil can never be, ah, to hell with them. You know, and again, I mean that in a literal sense. Have you ever been around people with that attitude? You know, uh, towards other people who are caught up in evil? You know, I get it. I do. It's easy to think like that, especially when you see and you hear about some of the things that are happening around us. It's despicable. It makes you angry. And I want to be clear, we do need to hate the evil. God hates the evil. But the people, the people trapped in darkness, the people, we need to love them. We need to love them. The people need to see the light so that they can be saved from the darkness. To wish for someone to go to hell, that's not love. That's not love. So our question remains, you know, what can the righteous do? What can the righteous do? Well, Jesus gave us a job to do. He gave us a calling. It's to be light in the midst of the darkness. This is our calling. And I love that Gary already read this scripture this morning. Maybe he saw my notes. I don't know. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here's your mission statement. That you may declare the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. That's our mission. We are chosen for this. To represent him like a priest. To declare how amazing he is. How excellent he is. To tell others about how he has called us out of the darkness so that we can find his light. And we share that light with the people around us. And a couple verses later, Peter gets practical. He starts talking about what this looks like. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. I like how uh, Peter points out, you know, we sang about this this morning, this idea of being foreigners and exiles. Because it brings, it, I think it brings a bit of balance or maybe more fullness to what we've been talking about this morning. As we've been saying, we don't want to run from the evil in this world, but also we don't want to make our home in that evil either, right? We're foreigners. Uh, We don't want to make our home in it. We don't want to put ourselves in a situation where we get lost in the darkness ourselves. And we need to be wise about that. And that's not necessarily going to look the same for everybody. You need to know yourself. Peter says that it's like being a foreigner. You know, we should be aiming for that sort of idea. We're not at home, but our presence here still makes a difference. We're not at home, but our presence here needs to make a difference. We're told to shine our lives by avoiding sin. Maybe this is a point of self-reflection for you. I know it is for me. Now, how are you doing with that? Are you standing out as different from the people around you? Or are you participating in just all the same things as your friends and neighbors who don't, who don't know the Lord? Instead of sin, we want to live a life that is full of goodness. A good life full of good deeds. Not, not so that we can like look good or gain recognition for ourselves, but so that we can shine God's light into the darkness. And the application for this, it's, again, it's not really going to be the same for everyone. It kind of depends on what your life looks like right now. If you're a parent at home with little kiddos running around, much of the light that you shine is probably going to be focused into your own home. If you're a single person with a job that takes you on the road, or maybe you're in the service industry, maybe a lot of the light that you're shining is going to be into the lives of strangers. If you're a student, or if you're fully into your career, maybe... You know, your light will be shining through the people or the, the classmates or the co-workers that you're with eight hours a day. I mean, the list could go on, right? It all comes down to this one reality that the Lord reigns. Will you really believe that? And not in the sense of just like, yeah, I get it. You know, the Lord reigns. You know, it's a head knowledge thing. It has to be deeper than that. It, it has to affect the way we live. It made a real difference for the psalmist. And I I think that's what's so powerful about this psalm. It's not his belief, his conviction in this didn't make all of his problems go away. But his conviction that God was in his holy temple gave him strength to carry on. It was a powerful conviction, you know, that God sees everything. 
that he knows the hearts of everyone and that he will set things right in his perfect timing. The psalmist found peace. He, he found peace in leaving that part to God. You know, that was his job. That was God's job, not our job. But we've also seen this morning that God has given us a job as well. A calling, if you like. Our calling is to shine his light into the darkness, into the dark and lost world around us. We don't run from the darkness. We shine our light into it so that this lost world can find uh, find its way home. That can start in your household. That could be in your workplace. That could be in your community. It could be with the people sitting next to you this morning. Everywhere we go, we can declare the excellencies of him who has called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. We're going to end off with a song called By Faith. And I love the chorus in this psalm. I just put put the words up here. Uh, because it pulls together many of the things that we've been talking about today. You know, we'll, we will choose to stand as children of the promise. Instead of shrinking back, we fix our eyes on him. The one who has given us such an amazing reward. We keep running the race that he's given us. It's going to be a race, though, that we have to run by faith and not by sight because it's not always going to look like things are going well. But yet we trust that the Lord reigns, that he is still in control and that he has given us a very important work to do. If you find yourself stuck today, you're not sure how to move forward and you want to talk to somebody you know what, come and talk to me. I would love to talk to you about that um, and pray with you and help you in any way we can. Thank you for your time today.